0: Hi, friend, and welcome to episode 17 of the Taste and See podcast. I'm glad you could join me for this conversation today. Think about the last big decision you had to make. How confident were you in your decision? Well, I have some good news for you. You are not alone. I'm sure that many of you can relate to this scenario of having to make big decisions. It's a dilemma that many of us face time and time again. Today, we're talking about decision-making with Dr. Alan Ehler, and I know you're going to be challenged, encouraged, and blessed by our conversation today. A professor, pastor, former U.S. Air Force officer, and an engineer, farm kid, and higher ed administrator, Alan has a doctor of ministry degree from Portland Seminary and currently serves as the senior director of AG Relations and professor of practical theology at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. Dr. Ehler's newest book, How to Make Big Decisions Wisely, is published by Zondervan and lays out a clear approach to making big decisions based on the Bible and recent discoveries in neuroscience and decision science. He presents a simple four-step process that can be followed to make any kind of decision, whether personal, professional, or relational. Friends, you're listening to Episode 17 of the Taste and See Podcast. We'll be right back.
1: Welcome to the Taste and See Podcast, a kingdom based podcast that exists to encourage saints, empower believers, and reach the lost with the goodness of God. Psalm 34 8 proclaims Taste and see that the Lord is good. To taste is to experience, while to see is all about perception. Join us as we discuss our experiences in the kingdom of God and discover how we can impact the world around us through a new lens. Here is your host, Josh Emmerich.
0: Dr. Ehler, thank you for joining us today, and we are excited to have this conversation with you.
2: Well, thank you, Josh. Thanks for the privilege of joining you.
0: So, Dr. Ehler, I'd like to start off this conversation with some fun questions. So, The question I want to ask you is: If you could travel anywhere in the world where money wasn't an issue, time wasn't an issue, nothing was an issue, where would
2: it be and why? Hmm. Well, I love traveling, so I'd love to go everywhere. But uh, I think it'd be really fun to um, maybe hike backpack the entire Andes all the way from Terra del Fuego to Panama. I don't know why lately that's been on my mind. That'd be really fun to do, or Better yet, ride my bike from uh, all the way down there, all the way to Barrow, Alaska. That would be fun. I mean, you can't make it to Barrow, but let's say you go around and go down to Homer.
0: Oh, that's great. I remember when I was pastoring in Vermont, I would go hiking all the time. And there's not too many places to hike around here. So I I, I truly miss that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that sounds like it'd be really, really exciting. So tell us more about you. How did you come to know Christ? And what led you to where you're serving in the kingdom now?
2: Right. Well, I grew up in, in, in a church, but there wasn't a lot of spiritual life there. I mean, there was a lot of life and we told the stories of Jesus, heard them, but uh, it wasn't a church that encouraged personal faith until I became a junior in high school. We had a new youth pastor um, and he really spoke to me and God spoke to me through him and even supernaturally beyond that. And age 18, after graduating from high school, just felt God calling me to surrender to Him fully. You know, I'd been master of my life before that, and had to make Him my master. But I was already obligated to uh, an Air Force ROTC scholarship to study civil engineering, and went off to that college. But they happened to have a very strong university Christian fellowship group there, and and in my dorm had people who came around me, upperclassmen who helped disciple me, and I got involved leadership, called a calling to ministry almost immediately within two months of starting college. I, I just knew that. That where I, was, where I was going, I thought it might be overseas and missions, but along the way, serving in active duty in the Air Force, I did get to go overseas to Turkey and Germany. and uh, My wife and I loved that experience, but I, I knew it wouldn't be an immediate thing, and who knows, it may still end up overseas. But uh, we wound up coming back and serving at a church outside of Seattle, Washington, and uh, as associate pastors five years, lead pastors at a church north of Seattle for eight and a half years. And uh, finished my MA while I was on active duty, then finished the MDiv uh, equivalency work at Fuller Seminary. They had a a campus there in Seattle and then just felt the prompting to keep going. So I went ahead and got my doctor ministry degree from Portland Seminary at the time was called George Fox. Uh, Leonard Sweet was the the main mentor of that program, and when I was getting finished, I met Dr. Kent Engel, who had just become the dean at Northwest University, and I knew the president, Don Argue, but told him, "Hey, you know, if you fishing my doctorate, you guess guys are pastors come in and teach." And they happened to have a program they called Leap Leadership Education for Adult Professionals, and it was done in the evening, and they needed somebody to teach a class on First Corinthians. So I would drive uh, down from my church, a little less than an hour away, one night a week five weeks. And, and I love teaching and I must've done okay. Cause they asked me to come back and teach a class on hermeneutics. And then they asked me to do one on new Testament. And then they had a full-time position open and Dr. Engel called me and asked me to apply. And I love teaching on the side, but I really loved pastoring and I, I wasn't sure that's what I would want to do, but uh, I didn't want to say no to God. So walk through the whole interview process and uh, we'll never forget that day coming home after a day-long series of interviews just knowing that god had called me there and i didn't know how i'd tell my people it didn't make sense to me but i started teaching and loved it i still served in a church on a part-time basis at a large multi-site church up there called cedar park church asked me to oversee their branch campuses and that was fun kept me in the church so i served there at northwest for five years and then in the book i tell the story of how had just a supernatural series of events and some people say yeah it's just coincidence but eh, it's pretty hard to say that all that is coincidence because um had uh, just unmistakable one thing after another florida was not on my radar Kent engel who had been my dean had come down to become president here at southeastern halfway through that time invited me to apply and god spoke to me uh, through through a prophetic word through somebody who had attended my church i hadn't seen in several years and she just had a strong impression to send me a message through Facebook and, and, it, and she could not have known that her imagery was the mascot of Southeastern University. The fire was the imagery that I would be sending balls of fire around the world and then had so many other people in my life, including Leonard Sweet, saying, I hope you consider this. And we went and felt that unmistakable call. And it was just confirmed again and again, many, many times over.
0: I am so glad that you answered that resounding prompt from God. For those of you who are listening, Dr. Eler was not only one of my professors at Southeastern, he was my dean. So when the dean agreed to come on my podcast and speak, the pressure was on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but in all seriousness, thank you so much for sharing your story. It was truly an honor to learn from you during my three years at SEU. And, you know, I remember taking homiletics with you mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. shape, shape of Practical Theology. And actually, the resource that we're going to be talking about today is your new book, which has an approach to practical theology called Story Shaping. And if I recall, this book came out two years ago, just a couple mm-hmm. of days ago.
2: Yes. Yeah, it
0: was. Mm-hmm. And so the book is How to Make Big Decisions Wisely, a Biblical and Scientific Guide to healthier habits, less stress, a better career, and much more. I don't know about you guys who are listening, but when I hear those three things, healthier habits, less stress, better career, I say, sign me up. That mm-hmm. is something I could use more in my life. And
2: so what led you to write How to Make Big Decisions Wisely? Well, it's a, it's a series of, of strands that that kind of came together. And by the way, Josh, it was an honor to have you as a student and love what you've gone out and continue to do and developing your your podcast here as well as serving a local church. And it's exciting to see what God's doing. But for me, it, it goes back to the fact, like I said, I grew up in a church where there wasn't much spiritual going on and I got a real spiritual encounter with Jesus and he called me to surrender my life to him. And I started attending a church, the Pentecostal church, and you would just hear this expression. People say, oh, the Lord told me this, this, and this. The Lord told me this, that, and that. And I would be Really? How does that happen? I mean, I just was so curious to me. What what does that mean? And and yet I knew I could reflect back in my own life, even surrendering my life to Jesus. There was an obvious spiritual encounter, but it hit me at even before ever getting into ministry, if I was going to make Jesus my Lord, that meant he was my master. That meant I would do whatever he wanted me to do. And I know the Bible has a lot of stuff are very clear. And I believe the Bible is, God's Word to me is as a Christian. So wherever the Bible speaks, that's really clear. I know what to do. But when it's time to buy a car, the Bible's not going to tell me, oh, you should buy a Chevy, you should buy a Ford, you should buy a Honda, you should buy a Toyota. It's just not in there. There's no, you know, first car 112 isn't, isn't in the Bible. So I just felt like but a big decision like whether to take a job in one place or another, what house to buy, what girl to marry, um you know what, what what I should be doing, what to preach next Sunday if I'm a pastor, whether or not start a business. All these things have huge consequences and if God has something to say to me, I want to know what it is. And, and so that really started me to begin to really seek words of wisdom, and, and there were there were some good books that had been written along the over the years, kind of on and like usually they're quote, quote unquote seeking the will of God, and there's some some good principles that were in there. But as I moved on, and I actually even started drafting a book before I entered ministry, and a couple of pages just thinking about how fun it would be to write a book on seeking the will of God, and then I got into ministry. Life got busy. Worked on my master's degree, and I was starting on the master divinity. And remember, one class had an assignment that I thought, you know, it would be really fascinating would be to just see how the Apostle Paul made decisions. Because I had by that time learned Greek, and I could see Luke just has this incredible Greek. Between uh, Hebrews is the only other book in the New Testament that doesn't have as refined of the Greek language as Luke does. And he's so particular on his wording. And I thought this would be an incredible story. How does Paul make decisions? And is Luke careful on the wording? And, and sure enough, it was Luke is very careful. And some of these words are unmistakably words of supernatural divine guidance. Words like he had a vision. The Lord appeared to him. There was a prophecy. Okay, we know that's supernatural, God speaking. But then there's these other words that Paul decided, Paul resolved. And they decided. And the the word decide has a clear concept of a rational decision-making process. So so I putting those together, I thought, well, let me just do kind of a count. What do I see? And I saw a slight majority, just a little over 50%, of the recorded decisions that Paul made in Acts were rational decisions rather than supernatural. What we know about writing, I mean, anytime you write, it takes time and effort. You can't write everything that happens. And if I'm going to write something, and especially back then when you didn't have a computer and, and parchment was expensive, you're only going to write the significant ones. So that would mean that the supernatural ones are going to be far more likely to be recorded than the ordinary everyday decisions, which would give the indication that, that the likelihood of the decisions Paul made, the vast majority of them were going to be rational decisions. And I thought that was interesting. And then I started my doctorate and totally independent of this, I decided to study preaching for my doctorate. And I wanted to know what made a difference between people who are effective as preachers and leading people to faith in Christ and those who are, eh, it's not so effective. Was there a difference in really effective preaching? and i i was challenged by my doctoral mentor to study other fields besides preaching itself but to see if i could draw from another discipline he encouraged education but along the way i found this whole field called decision science which is actually a subfield of psychology and it takes a look to see how people make decisions And there's a book that since came out, since I finished my doctorate, that's just a legend in the discipline written by neuroscientist Daniel Kahneman called Thinking Fast and Slow. But it summarizes what I found in my dissertation five years before that book came out. And that is that indeed, people tend to make decisions one of two ways. It is a slow, rational, thoughtful decision process, or it is a quick, intuitive, impulsive decision process. Uh, one of them called a kind of a direct, and and other a peripheral, and and do we actually weigh the evidence, or do we go with just go with the gut? And so I found that in preaching, yeah, preaching works with both. Good preaching can be rational. You can help people overcome any any counter argument of why they should believe in Jesus. Here's a good rational evidence. We can, can point to the Bereans there in, in Acts 17, who you know studied the scriptures to see whether these things are so, and. Uh, so there, there's strong evidence that, yes, we can trust the scriptures. And I should say 18, I believe, for that chapter. But there's also the times that people are just, they're just led. There's something spiritual that happens. So if we can see preaching happen as a spiritual action where there's something that is beyond explanation that happens, sometimes there's something rational. And, and so both of those things were were in, in my repertoire when I moved to Southeastern and I was asked to begin teaching that class as Shape of Practical Theology. Uh, And it's a it's a discipline that not every school covers, but it involves uh, the consideration asking some questions to see basically what is God up to and what should I do about it? And and as a pastor, that's a critical question. I mean, I want to partner with God. I in. I'm in ministry that's I'm in business for God doing his business. So I want to know how is God working in my community? How can I partner with God with what he's doing in my community? How can I partner with him in what he's doing with the people in my congregation? So at its core is a decision question. What should I be doing? What is right in this situation? And 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 how do I know? How do I discern that? And I found that all of the books that I had found up to that point in time that were written in the discipline of practical theology were not written by Pentecostals. I have later found that Dr. Mark Cartledge, who is a Pentecostal and what they call the uh, principal of the London School of Theology, basically the president there. Now he was at Regent Seminary before that, Regent School Divinity in Virginia Beach. uh, But he's written some scholarly things. But at the time I hadn't found that yet. Um, But I just saw, you know, there's something missing here. All of these books are just saying, some of them will say, okay, draw from scripture. Others will take a look around, but nothing's talking about the voice of God. And as a Pentecostal, I know that I've experienced the voice of God in my life. And all those people way back in my early days in the Pentecostal church were telling they heard from God. And, and I see that there's a place for it, even in science, to say sometimes there's things that are beyond uh, the the natural rational decision process. So if God is speaking, and if God can speak to us like he spoke to Paul. We should find a way to incorporate that into our decision-making process. And, and, and honestly, a lot of spiritual Christians, even I've learned since, a lot of people are not Pentecostals. In fact, the pastor one of the biggest Baptist churches in Florida, I met him in a conversation. He said, I want you to know I'm not a cessationist. I believe in, in seeking God for his direction for our ministry. And so, okay, great. Well, let's. can we find a way to do that? Because yet, if God always speaks in every case, that's one thing. What I found with Paul is he doesn't, didn't always speak to Paul. And I know for me, there's been a lot of times I've been asking God for direction, never got that direction. And does that mean he didn't tell me where to take my car one morning? I have to sit by the side of the road until I get divine revelation? Well, and the people I interviewed, not everybody gets divine revelation for every decision. So is there a way to discern when it should be part of our decision-making process and when we should lean on other forms? And if so, what other things should we find? Uh, So the first time I taught that class, I'd already started to begin to reflect on some of those things. But over that next year, between 2013 and 2014, I started to do a lot more research and started to recognize there's need for for a decision process that can be applied. And at first, it was just going to be a textbook for that practical theology class, but can take a, a system of practical theology that would give place for the voice of the Holy Spirit but also a place for rational decision-making that is done well. And so I drew from a variety of things, especially scripture, writings on decision science, neuroscience, um, other fields, including philosophy and even theology, taking a look, all of those things, putting it together, and develop that four-step process that is story shaping. And, and I taught that, got a lot of good feedback from students in the next couple years, and decided it would be a good thing to put into a book. And so, wrote it in a book at first. Again, as I said, to be a textbook, um, and was encouraged by some of our faculty has been published to say, you know, you really should find an agent. My first agent said, yeah, I don't think you publisher is going to publish a book on that, but you know, it, it's about making decisions, right? Why don't you write a book for ordinary people? You can assign it to your class if you want, but everybody has to make decisions. So he repackaged it and then uh, he ended up retiring, sold it to another agent. And Bob Hostetler, who works for Steve Lobby, reworked the the proposal and immediately Zondervan picked it up and said, yes, this is something we need to do. And so so we got it published in, yeah, in February of 2020, just in time for the pandemic
0: well wow, perfect timing for sure <laughs> and uh you know the thing i really appreciate the most about this book is that what you just mentioned about how god doesn't just speak supernaturally he speaks practically as well and what i love about that is i think it really causes us to really lean in and really just listen more because you know for so long i always thought that you know, I I guess I was always hesitant thinking that God wasn't really speaking unless I saw the writing on the wall like Daniel. (laughs) And the thing that I appreciate about this approach is that God really speaks in even the small, minute ways, in the very practical ways as you know, is simply me writing on one side, what are the pros and what are the cons? And what is the Holy Spirit speaking to me? And, you know, as I take a look at that bigger picture. So my next question is, is really in light of the supernatural and practical ways that God speaks to us, how should we as Christians make big decisions?
2: I uh, lay out that process in the book. And so just in answer to that question, I would say the first thing is to recognize, is this a big decision? Because most of our decisions are completely fine to make intuitively. And, and if you think about it, everything you do is ultimately a decision. If you decide to blink your eye. Well, you don't consciously think about blinking your eye until now you do, because I just mentioned it. But most of the time, we trust things to more of those instinctive processes, And I give the example in the book of driving a car. You know, when you're 15, you get your learner's permit. You think about everything when you get behind the wheel of that car. You know, okay, which pedal do I push? Which lever do I pull? Which do I turn here? How do I push this gas and all that? Maybe age 16, 17. By the time you're 18, you've driven a few thousand miles and it gets to be something that you can do more intuitively. And you don't have to take the time and energy to process a decision. It's no longer the big decision it was when you were just starting out. And so I put a filter in there that that is kind of used to say, only worry about the stuff that goes through the filter. And that is, or I should say, is caught by the filter. That is a situation that has major consequences, something you've not dealt with before, something that may have what seems to be more than one possible good solution, or maybe one that has no good solutions, but you still have to make the decision. So the first question, I call it step one half, is do I even need to worry about the story shaping thing? Because it's not simple. It's not a simple process. It is to be reserved for the, the, the big decisions. I, I would also add something in there. Sometimes, do you have enough time? Because maybe you know if if a car is running out of control, heading right in front of you, it's a big decision. Are you going to pull off into the ditch or not? But you don't have time to go through the process. So you, you got to just go with your instinct there and trust God and hope you come out okay. But when it comes to like, accepting a job or getting married or buying a house, those are bigger decisions that you do have time to work through. And in that case, then it's time to walk through the four steps. And the first one I call reading the backstory. And that's simply identifying, okay, what is the situation? What's the decision that I'm facing right now? What's happening? Why is it happening? Is there something here that I need to be sure I don't lose no matter what? Is there something here that I need to be sure I do get rid of and stop doing? And and you can apply this with anything from like big decisions, individual decisions, corporate decisions. I even use it as a a process for strategic planning in churches. i work with several churches to guide them through the process. And we spend a lot of time in reading the backstory. So we don't, because there's so many well-meaning pastors who take over an existing church, say, well, I don't like that. Let's just do all this here and don't take time to discover, hey, you had a lot of healthy stuff about this church, but you just threw it all out the window and a whole bunch of people went with it. And, and so taking some time to see what's healthy when you inherit something can be a good thing. But you don't want to spend too much time reading the backstory. Some people spend so much time looking backwards, they never move ahead. And so you've got to be clear, okay, here's how we're moving forward. In some cases, you may want to bring some people with you on the journey, especially an organizational thing or a family situation. Then the next step is to catch God's story. And I believe Scripture's our first place to go. Uh, I hold to scripture being my final authority in all things. And if the scripture is clear, especially New Testament commands, uh, imperatives from Jesus, good, well thought out, clear examples from the Bible that are still applicable for Christians today. If it says it, that settles it. You know, okay, if a real cute girl at the office flirts with me, should I answer back? No, I'm married. Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. I made a vow to my wife. That's not on the table. Sorry, not going there. May look good to somebody else, but it's not to me. Even if it did, it's not right because the Bible is clear on that. Um, should I should I lie? Nope, not there. Should I pay my taxes? Absolutely. Should I worship God? Absolutely. I don't have to worry about those. Those are clear. But on some things that maybe the Bible isn't so clear on, that's where I give place for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And that can come individually. It can come through the prophetic word like I received about coming to Southeastern. And sometimes it can come from what we would call godly counsel. And I also had that coming to Southeastern with so many people who I trusted who knew me and. Knew the situation there as Dean and said that it would be a good fit for me. I, I wouldn't have done that on that alone, but then later got that own confirmation, that internal voice of the Holy Spirit that we Christians really tend to long for. And I, I would say people who are not familiar, like I was coming into a, a spirit-filled church, wondering what in the world is that like? And I, I give several criteria, looked at a lot of different people. And since then have done a lot of interviews And I would say listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit is usually something that you did not seek. It it comes to you independently because sometimes we can generate our own emotions. I really, really want this. I really want to marry that cute guy because he's really cute and he's got a great personality. But, you you know, okay, that's your heart. Is that really God? There's something transcendent about it. It's not from inside of me. Uh, Also, it can tend to be something that that is continually returns Also look for something that I would call bearing witness. First Corinthians 14 talks about it. Don't always get that, but that can be super helpful. If I'm thinking this and other people bear witness, okay, that gives me some good solid evidence. Another one is it's never opposed anywhere in scripture. It's again, in line with scripture, going to test it that way. And then other people could bear witness to us as well. Although there can be exceptions when you know you've heard from God and there's something else there along the way. So if I've heard from God in one of those ways, emerge from that season of catching God's story saying, okay, I can either say, A, I know for sure this is what God wants me to do, which I can skip the next part of the process, or I'll be B. I think so. I'm not 100% sure, but I think God may be speaking. Then it's good to work the next process. Or I may go, huh, I have absolutely no idea what this is. In that case, I'm going to go to the next step, which is called craft a new story. And they call it craft because crafting is taking existing materials and working them for a new purpose. You know, when we face a decision, we usually don't get to create everything from the ground up. We have to take accept the opportunities that have been given us. I also say craft a new story because the big first step of the process is to recognize there's a lot of possibilities in front of us. And uh, again, use the word story because things go on and the decision never stands on its own. It kind of seems like it does, but we take what we've got coming in and there's going to be something going out. And so we come into that process. So really thinking about that A, the goal there is to, to find the best decision that we can. Uh, We may emerge with a clear best. It may not be. But to work through the process, we want to start by increasing the number of options we're considering. A lot of decision problems happen because people tend to do what's called narrow framing. That is, they look at this or that, A or B, one or two, and they forget that there's another 24 letters in the alphabet that we could consider. There's hundreds of other options that we could look at. And sometimes the best option is not one of those first two you're considering. And so taking time to just increase the number of options can be helpful. Most common way to do that is what's called brainstorming, but there are a lot of other ways I talk about in the book, Uh, bringing other voices in can be helpful, but you want to just expand the number of ideas until you've got a lot of things you're willing to consider out there on the table. Even the crazy ones, sometimes the crazy ideas lead to the best ideas. And once you've looked at all of them, then you go to the next step, which is reducing them to a manageable number. You may have 20, 30 ideas out there. Well, some of them are ridiculous. Some of them aren't going to work. Some of them are simply replications of one another or very similar to one another. And I want to get that list down. Ideally, four to seven ideas I'm going to weigh and evaluate if I can. And if I can't, I'll just evaluate them all, but then go through and take a look at each of those. And you talked about pros and cons. That's one thing, but Sometimes it can help to bring in look, explore a little more deeply other than what I have on the surface. Like if I am looking for a car, maybe I need to go to KellyBlueBook.com or something and consider those or or get talk to other people who bought one of those vehicles or look at some other information, go for the test drive, do some other research to bring that to the table, and then come back and work through it again. And I would say continue to pray throughout the process. Consider things, your own values, what matters to you, things that that are going to be important, what's going to help accomplish your best objective, envision where things are going to be down the road, um, what, what I call having a pre-parade or pre-mortem. That is, imagine things didn't go well, things did go well. Which of these options is going to give you the best, the best way to the end? And then after you've taken a good, hard look through all of it and you've prayed through it, make your decision. And I'd love to be able to say, yep, work through this process every time you'll know 100% this was the best decision. And honestly, I can't say that. But what I can say is taking this time to go through the process usually leads to a better decision than doing it instinctively. In fact, if Kahneman in in, in thinking fast and slow, that's one of his big principles is is that people who only make quick decisions far more often wind up making horrible decisions. There's there's something about walking through the process. So once you've crafted a new story, you've made your decision, then you go to the fourth step, which is to tell the new story. Now it's the story. You've made the decision. You want to figure out who you need to tell, how you're going to make it happen. In many cases, it'll involve in acting a plan and then evaluating it. If it's an ongoing thing, if it's going to be recurring, you want to be sure, is it doing well? Can we fix it? Can we improve it? And working through that process until it's time to walk through the process again.
0: That is so good. And so just to make sure that I'm kind of embracing what you're saying here, I kind of want to kind of do a little experiment here and kind of share about my process of deciding to create and launch the Taste and See podcast. All right. So reading the backstory, when I think about that, about what's been happening. Um, I've seen many churches that are kind of stuck in the tape ministry days, I guess Mm. is the best way Mm -hmm. to uh, put it, where they, you know, and there's nothing wrong with tape ministry. I mean, I remember I was in junior high and I was the kid who volunteered to, you know, the dual tape deck where you would put the like original (laughs) tape in and you hit record and it would. Put it on the second tape, and then eventually it evolved into CDs. If some of our listeners Mm -hmm. even know what a CD is, (laughs) you know. And then eventually, about ninety percent of Christian podcasts are Sunday morning sermons, which is great. I think it's awesome that churches are finding ways to get their messages out there. But we have this dilemma that a lot of young people, especially millennials and Gen Z, are not showing up in church they're 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 not being part of a faith community in person And so I decided to you know really just pray and seek what does God have to say about all this you know so to catch God's story and when I read scripture and you know especially the New Testament I see this common message of hey especially from Paul, we're to spur one another on we're supposed to reach others, at any cost short of sin. And so, for me, this was a heavy burden of, there are so many younger people who are not being encouraged, who are kind of wandering through life, not sure what the next step is, or who to lean on, or who to ask certain questions to. And so, I realized that something had to change. And so I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to help craft this new story. Mm -hmm. And so I thought about all these different options. I thought about, you know, hey, I could podcast, I could get on YouTube, I could do Instagram live, I could, maybe I could write like an ebook, or maybe start a Facebook community, something to really reach the younger generations, And then I came across some really staggering statistics. So kind of doing that research, like you were talking about, there are 64 million people listening in the U S to podcasts. 17% of those listeners are Christians versus 6% non-Christians. And there are 11 million Christians that are listening to podcasts right now. And what is really cool is that while church attendance is on a sharp decline, especially along millennials and Gen Z that I was talking about, these generations listen to podcasts more than any other. In fact, 42% of them listen one time a week or more. And I thought, this is such a great opportunity to reach them through their earbuds (laughs) and to really talk about the common things that we face in life to realize that it's something even Christians walk through. And the the, the difference is we have a Holy Spirit, we have a community, we have a new outlook on life that really spurs us on. And so it was at that moment that I decided, you know what, I have to tell the new story. And so I strategically launched this podcast. I lined up guests such as yourself. I've joined a great organization called the Christian Podcasters Association that's really teaching me and coaching me to offer the best podcast that I can for our listeners to really make sure it's good content because if someone listens to a podcast and it sounds like they are listening to someone who's speaking through a drive-through speaker they're going to turn it off and they're going to move on to the next thing and so does that make sense would that be a good example
2: of the process that you're explaining here yeah absolutely that's an ex- outstanding example and congratulations Josh that's great all right so now that we've talked
0: about the book and the whole process and i think it's great i think i think this is something that's very practical and I, I don't want to say simple because it's not simple. This whole process of deciding to do this podcast was not simple. You can ask my wife. She can tell you how many <laughs> nights and days I wrestled with this. Mm-hmm.
2: But what do you hope to accomplish through this book? Well, I hope it helps people. I mean, that was my prayer throughout. I Even in the process itself, I know I know there's some people who don't seem to wrestle with decisions, but I've seen some people really pay the price for making some bad decisions. Uh, And it's my goal to just help people, number one, be willing to seek God and seek God's voice in their life and be able to discern when God is speaking to them, but also be paralyzed in those times when, for whatever reason, God encourages us to use our minds. I mean, I think it's interesting. James tells us to ask for wisdom, not direction. And that's a slightly different process. And I believe wisdom gives place for both the voice of God as well as rational use of the mind that God has given us. And so to just set people free to let them know there's a way, there's a tool and a resource when you're facing something big and you're scared to death and you're afraid to do anything, wait a second, I can walk through this process and be more confident in the decision I'm about to make.
0: So, as as you are probably aware, you are on the Taste and See podcast, and Psalm 34, 8 proclaims, taste and see that the Lord is good. And to me, when I read that verse, I thought, you know, to taste is to experience. So, we experience, like, we taste God, we experience God. And then when we when we experience God, it really impacts on what we see. So, when we experience the kingdom of God, it shapes our perspective on how we see the world around us. So how have you seen the goodness of God displayed in your own journey of decision-making?
2: Well, well, I I think, you know, the big decisions in my life, and there were some that I had to use the rational side. Uh, and, and even like with Mary, my wife, I mean, granted, I loved her and I want to spend my life with her, uh, but I didn't get a, voice, a, a word from God on that one. I mean, I was a lot younger as a Christian, very new to the whole spirit filled world and and things like that. But I was praying for that divine direction. But at the end of the day, I I, w- I wasn't fully developed this process either. But I can go back and think through that and, and considered some things. So without that 100 percent, OK, I know that I know that I know that what God says, but I do know I love her. I do know she's committed to Jesus. I do know that even though our callings may not be exactly the same right now, if we say yes to marriage, we will be going together. And I do know she's an incredible person and I'd love to spend the rest of my life with her. And let me say, I have tasted and seen that being married to Kara Ealer is still very wonderful 33 years later. And I could say starting my first ministry job, I, I didn't get that divine direction that I'd hoped to, but I knew that I had the calling to ministry. That was unmistakable. My divine calling to ministry was the second supernatural Unmistakable, and it never left, and it's not left to this day. And and so when I had an opportunity, invitation, I prayed, and I ran, rationalized her. I had to work that whole crafting process. I didn't have the book yet, but man, I wish I would have. But at the same time, I didn't have a no. I never got that no from the Holy Spirit. Didn't have a lack of peace. But ever since then, all my other ministry moves, uh, let's say physical moves, like that becoming from associate pastor to lead pastor of another church, that was supernatural. From lead pastor to teaching at Northwest, like I talk about, that was supernatural. From Northwest to Southeastern, that was supernatural. The more recent one, though, that was beyond different one. I'm no longer dean after serving for eight years, and it's an incredible time. And dean is usually something you serve as a term of office. And now I get to go still teach, but I get to network with churches, do that all the time, in fact, leaving tomorrow to go visit pastors at two different gatherings and things like that. And so that's been really, really fulfilling, but it took a longer process and even in all of that, to see that God can still be good, even when it wasn't maybe the process that I've seen in the past. And there's sometimes that we face. Our story is crafted by somebody else. We, our old story means that somebody else did something that's going to affect those things. But we can come out of that and say, is God still at work? Is it still? Can we taste and see that God is good? And the answer is absolutely yes.
0: Wow, how encouraging it is to know that the goodness of God is not just seen in the supernatural, but the practical as well, using the brain that God gave you. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> His goodness comes through that too. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's something we often forget. We look around for the supernatural, but we forget that God wired your brain too. Yes. You know, he gave you your thought process. He gave you your your rationale for a reason. Use it. Mm -hmm. So that's something I I really, really appreciate that. So before we leave this conversation, what is one action step or challenge you want us to walk away with this week? What is our call to action?
2: I'll give two, depending on the kind of listener you have And, and listeners, I bet will be in both camps. And i say there are some who've never considered integrating listening to God into their personal devotional life. But to take time every day as part of your, if you haven't even started devotional life, and maybe you don't even know Jesus yet, first of all, that's got to be the biggest and the best decision you'll ever make is to say yes to him, to invite him to become your Lord and Savior. Uh, but that's not just a one-time decision. It is a relationship. And like any relationship, it takes communication to stay healthy. And so develop a habit daily of reading your Bible, praying to him, making your desires known to him, but then integrate listening, period of silence, even if it's just five minutes or two minutes or 20 minutes, but to develop that attitude of listening. So you can develop a sensitivity, what we call discernment to God's voice and act on what you hear, Uh, learn to test it. As we talked about earlier, find that being in tune with the Holy Spirit to help you there. But maybe you've been another person that you were raised in a spiritual church and you somehow felt you're some kind of a second class citizen because you're not given this divine download for every decision you face every single day. And I want to encourage you to develop a habit of exercising wisdom and, you know, get my book if you'd like, or another system that can be intentional about working through a decision process for those times that you don't get that supernatural revelation.
0: That is so good. Thank you. Thank you so much. And for those of you who are listening If you scroll down into the story notes, you will see those two challenges right there. Dr. Ehler, if someone would like to connect with you or grab a copy of your book, and I see you have a study guide now as well for that book, how can they do so?
2: Uh, Yeah, you can go to amazon.com, and also you can look up under the uh, Zondervan, they have what they call the Master Lectures series, and so I've got a series of video teachings that are built on the book that go a lot deeper than we have in the podcast Um, You can also get the book on audiobook from Audible or Amazon, those different places there as well. And you're welcome to follow me on Instagram, on Twitter. I don't tweet a lot, but periodically. And you're welcome to follow me on any of those places. And of course, we'd love to see you at Southeastern University.
0: Amen. Go fire. Amen. (laughs) Dr. Eller, thank you so much for your time tonight and for your time, for your wisdom in your direction today. It is truly appreciated. And it has been such an honor to uh, sit down and just hear from you.
2: Well, thank you so much, Josh, for having me on board. And I pray God blesses you and all of your listeners that you all make very big, healthy, good decisions when they come your way.
0: Thank you so much. We receive it for sure. Well, friend, that wraps up this incredible conversation with Dr. Alan Ehler today. If you would like a copy of his book, How to Make Big Decisions Wisely, you can find it on Amazon through the link in the story notes or by visiting www.tacencypodcast.com and clicking on the guest page. Don't forget to tune in to the Taste and See podcast next week where I have special guest Pastor Scott Disler, on the show to talk about his experience with hurt and betrayal in life and how God freed him from the cave of misery. Also, if you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to the Taste and See podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy our show, please share us with your family and friends by sharing this episode on social media or through a simple text. We have another special giveaway this week, and it's super simple to get entered. If you haven't yet, be sure to join the Taste and See podcast community by visiting www.tasteandseapodcast.com slash trailfamily, or you can text COMMUNITY to 66866. That's the word COMMUNITY to 66866. We will randomly be drawing a name from our community to win a free copy of Dr. Ealer's book, How to Make Big Decisions Wisely. So be sure to join today. Until next time, friend, this is Josh Emmerich, and never forget that the Lord is good.
1: Thank you for listening to the Taste and See podcast. We hope that you were encouraged and empowered by our conversation today. For future and past episodes, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by visiting www.tastencpodcast.com. Now go, live for the kingdom, and always remember that the Lord is good.